Hello and welcome to episode 291 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're coming to you in different locations again today. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time champion, Storm. I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, and proud to say, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. There it's back. All it took was one Michael Bennett raising the 12 flag. There we go. one Seahawks victory, and you are proud of being from the home of the Seahawks once again. Well, Seattle is also home to our friends at Fremont Brewery. Hello. Who bring us the beer I'm drinking this week. We've stopped coordinating beers at some point along the way here. And that is the Fremont Winter Ale. A tasty winter ale to snuggle up to, released for the winter months when snow blankets the terrain of the mind and the body cramps warmth. And let's be honest, it's dark and wet most of the time, so your beer better be damn good. Winter ale is dark like the weather, with roast chocolate and warm malt flavors balanced by noble hop aroma and subtle hoppy spice. Warm up to it. Uh, so we start this week with some sad news. Uh, the, the passing of Frank Furtado, the Sonics head athletic trainer for 26 years before his retirement in 2000, after which he continued to assist successor Mike Sheminsky through the team's move to Oklahoma City in 2008. Furtado, his wife Sarah, was a longtime fixture in the Sonics business office, and the couple were recognized when the team's practice facility was renamed the Furtado Center in 2001. Before joining the Sonics, Furtado enjoyed another career in Seattle as the original wrestling coach at Seattle Pacific University, where he was wow. elected to the school's Hall Athletic Hall of Fame in 2011. And Furtado also served as the Sounders' athletic trainer during their NASL days at, at times. So uh, really a remarkable career, mm -hmm. someone who was a, a huge, huge part of the Sonics organization for an extended period of time and have seen a number of tributes on social media and, and in the Seattle Times article that uh, Percy Allen wrote about his passing. So certainly our thoughts with the Furtado family in this time. All right, moving on to our toasts, we start with a congratulation. We mentioned this on Sunday in the uh, post-game Seahawks emergency pod, but a congrats to you to men's soccer for reaching the College Cup for the first time Hello. in program history with Saturday's 2-0 win over number 10 seed St. Louis in the Elite Eight. All three other Elite Eight matchups were decided on penalties, including number eight seed Clemson knocking out top seed we go. hated rival Oregon hated. State 4-3. Take that, Oregon State. This is this is for that cheap tie that you earned here in Seattle. There were there were no red cards that I know of in that one. Uh, Huskies will face number three seed Georgetown in the semifinal on Friday, and of course, carry North Carolina with Clemson meeting number four seed Notre Dame in the other semifinal. So no 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 North Carolina teams in there to be the de facto home teams. What seed is UW? Number two. They're the number two seed. So they're they're hypothetically favorites in this matchup against Georgetown. They are the highest seeded remaining team. They were number one in RPI. Wow. I don't know if that's any good at this in college soccer. If there's there's probably some better metrics out there somewhere. I would assume that most of these matches are probably going to get decided by randomness because it's soccer and an elimination tournament. <laughs> yes. And especially in this situation, because the way they do it during the college cup with the travel to a single site location, much like the final four, it's two games in three days. There we go. So the winners on Friday of those two matches will play short rest Sunday for the College Cup. 
and uh, uh, maybe an emergency pod if the Huskies lift the College Cup for the first time in program history. Wow. If we do a, a UW men's soccer emergency pod before a single Mariners emergency pod ever, <laughs> that will be an historic event. I mean, technically, they were involved in the Chris Peterson and Kalen DeBoer emergency They're pod. afterthoughts. The Mariners are also mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> they just happen to make their most exciting moves at the exact same time that the Huskies also hire new football coaches. I don't know why it is. You think we were going to do a Robbie Ray emergency pod? No fucking no, no, way. No, obviously we were not. We're all about UW men's soccer on this podcast. And Look, bring we're... it on, Georgetown. We're a men's soccer school. I've always said it. But we are also a volleyball school. And congrats to UW Volleyball for reaching the Sweet 16 for the ninth time in the past 10 years with straight set wins over Brown and Hawaii in the sub-regional at Heck Ed last Friday and Saturday. The Huskies are now headed to a much more difficult matchup as the number 15 seed to the regional final hosted by number two seed Texas. Those teams will meet Thursday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific with the Elite Eight matchup to pit the winner of that match against the winner of number 10 seed Nebraska and unseeded Illinois. All right. Uh, question about the the UW men's soccer match that's going to happen on Friday against Georgetown. Is this on TV? Is this available to us anywhere? All right, I'll have to look this up. I did not do that part of the research sufficiently. Because I'm curious to watch it. Same. I'm going to be awaiting a text on Friday at whatever time. <laughs> Ahead of 4.30 again. 4.30. 4.30 Pacific. Yes. Okay. I'm not taking any information about broadcast on the on the schedule at UW. So gonna gonna keep looking here. Okay. Talk amongst yourselves for was a little there, bit. Was suppose. there a streaming option for that St. Louis game? It was the UW local streaming, like on their site was the streaming. So that could be what we're looking at for the uh, college cup here as well. I, I don't know if it works differently once they get there as opposed to the games that they're hosting on campus. I'm, I'm going to need to do some further research. This might have to be a Twitter thing. Okay. Twitter update. A Twitter update. They need right. a better name for this also than the college cup. If you've got the final four and the frozen four. Yeah. I, we'll, let's I know that. there's not the, a lot that call that the NCAA does very well, but this is maybe the worst of it. <laughs> this name, I mean, you've got uh, exorbitant salaries for head coaches, and then you've got not naming uh, the... You have, do you have an idea? Oh, no, no. I was saying also college coaches adopting the accents of wherever they happen to be coaching. <laughs> what type of accent would Kalen DeBoer... <laughs> you say kitty corner instead of catty corner. You had oh, to change wow. that. Had to change that. It's like, what do, what do you call the thing in the median? <laughs> <laughs> Soda versus pop. I, I think he's okay on that one. Uh, continue our toast. Joao Paulo Raul Rivas and Yaimar Gomez Andrade, all named to MLS Best 11 from the Sounders. It's the second consecutive season. They've had three players on MLS Best 11, with Rui Diaz the only one to repeat as the others in 2020 were Nico Lodero and Jordan Morris, who missed most of this season due to injury. Joao Paulo finished third in MVP voting. Also, a another toast for Jordan Morris, who was called into the rosters for the U.S. men's national team ahead of friendlies this month. 
Morris was last part of the U.S. men's national team roster in 2019. So exciting to see him get back there after his ACL, most recent ACL injury. Uh, Christian Roldan also called up as part of those friendlies. And then lastly, in our toast, you know, football placed three players on the all Pac-12 first team, left tackle Jackson Kirkland and cornerbacks Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie earning those honors. Punter Race Porter, part of the all Pac-12 second team. That's the best player on the team, Race Porter, to you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to assume that it was someone from either Utah or Colorado that beat him out and that it was completely based on just playing at altitude and wildly unfair. Uh, not surprised to see Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie. And I think we also have some Kyler Gordon news later as well. Um, Wait, do we? He declared I, for the NFL draft. I, I missed that news. Well, <laughs> I'm breaking some news to you here. Oh, no. Unless I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that he declared for the NFL draft, though. I, I, would, I want you to confirm this because I've been wrong about things a lot on a now deleted on a deleted scene with with baby fantasy genius about baseball. I told him that Chris Taylor was still a free agent. So and was mocked widely by him. Never to be heard by anybody. I am not seeing any indication that color Gordon has declared for the NFL draft. Are you serious? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you on this one. I, I Did he tweet something that was cryptic about it? A number of players said that they're planning to come back for next season. I, I have not seen Kyler Gordon among those. I was thinking about this the other day, though, because I went down a Storm YouTube rabbit hole. I was watching the old Stormy Award videos that we used to do. And obviously, one of the things that comes up when you do that is Kyler Gordon interviewing Brian Agler where, and asking him his favorite dance move. And Brian Agler doing kind of like a little leg twist <clears> and <throat> Kyler Gordon being like the stinky leg. And this is all happening in 2010 when Kyler Gordon was like 10 years old. From now, Anthony Edwards, senior editor at the UW Daily, UW defensive back Kyler Gordon will declare for the 2022 NFL draft. According to a Crosscut article this morning, a source confirms the news to me. Okay. I, I, that did not come up in my search. Well, there you go. Unless there's like fake condotas for Anthony Edwards, which if there <laughs> are, that would be the saddest thing on earth. If also, they're if they're good, fake good. Anthony Edwards U Dub Daily uh, beat, I I'm sorry for whatever else you have going on in your life. I'm I'm assuming that source confirming to Anthony Edwards of the U Dub Daily is a person named Kyler Gordon. I'm not saying this on Crosscut either. He said Crosscut was where it was broken. That's what he said. Seems unlikely, but okay. Oh, I see. It was in an article about the NIL changes. And it's got, got Kyler Gordon featured. I say. God, don't you dare call Anthony Edwards. He's breaking news all the time over here. Don't you dare call Anthony Edwards a liar. <laughs> I'm not calling him a liar. Well, well Anthony this... Edwards has more integrity in his pinky finger than you have, sir. <laughs> uh, there's some other news from, from Anthony Edwards that hasn't yet been confirmed that we'll talk about in the UW football section, I suppose. I know Anthony Edwards. I'm friends with Anthony Edwards. And you, sir, are no Anthony Edwards. <laughs> Come on the pod. <laughs> Anthony Edwards. <laughs> oh, Lord. Also, any Anthony Edwards, the Minnesota Timberwolves <laughs> player, for sure we'd welcome on. Or... Oh, yeah. We would love to talk about NBA uh, star Anthony Edwards' thoughts on if he'd been at Taco Time or not. <laughs> wow. Or Goose, if he wants to come on the pod. Any, just an open standing invitation, any or Anthony Goose. Edwards. <laughs> Look, we could talk to anybody about Taco Time. It's fine. 
boy. Well, before we get back to sports, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, I, I alluded to this on Sunday's pod, that after the Gonzaga alabama game on Saturday, I went someplace I was excited to go, which is T.O. Babies, which is a long-term pop-up that's operating out of the Rose Temple Bar in uh, on Capitol Hill on, on Olive Street. Uh, so this is, this is run by Chef Will Gordon, who was at a variety of local hotspots, How to Cook a Wolf, uh, Spring Hill, uh, Westward, among others, where he was the executive chef, but wanted to cook kind of bar food and elevate bar food and uh, has been doing that at uh, at T.O. Baby's uh, in a variety of pop-ups and then again in exclusively at Rose Temple since July and sent us an email inviting us to come out and try it. And then I moved to West Seattle and Capitol Hill seems like a million miles away. But after the typical say, West Seattleite. It was, well, you know, he probably understood when he was working at Westward or Spring Hill. Uh, I, I, so I got a chance to go after the game on Saturday and had the chili verde pork sandwich and the fries, and they were both outstanding. Uh, a great vibe in the Rose Temple Bar, so a, a good hang there. Uh, I drank a seven-ounce Modelo. It was That's like, not enough ounces of Modelo. It was in that case because I, I I was gonna take transportation home, but I didn't want to have to pee, so it was it was perfectly suited. I'm gonna need three of those. <laughs> yeah, I know you are. I would say that the fries, I mean the the sandwich was good, but the fries, the fries were up there. If we're gonna ever do a search for Seattle's best fries, wow, that was All my right. take. That's... So you. This place should... looks really good to me. I, the thing that I'm most intrigued by is a nacho cheese chalupa. I think that was part of they did like a Taco Bell night, wasn't it? Ugh. I think they don't have it one... permanently. It was a one night only thing, and it happened to be opposite some major sporty event. I forget. I was like, there's no way I can go to this. September 26th. Timing. I don't know what that would have been. but Well, whatever the team was, they lost, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> that was early though the cracking curse might not have been in full effect by that i point. think we were at the uw football game uw versus ucla was that september 26 no that would have been october 26 september 26 was a sunday so maybe the seahawks were on sunday night football at that point i don't know would have to or maybe if it was actually september 26 i wasn't i wasn't in town so ah. that would explain it all right, let's get back to sports, but uh, not Seattle sports yet. just yet. Need to update the story that we talked about a few weeks ago with the Blazers' investigation of their front office. And at the conclusion of it, President of Basketball Operations and GM Neil Olshee was fired after they found that he violated the team's code of conduct. So that news came kind of out of nowhere last Friday and comes at a time where the Blazers... You know, I saw Mike Sean Dugar, third Pelton brother, point this out on Twitter. I know I've mentioned it to you offline. The parallels between the Seahawks and the and the Blazers right now, Jody Allen's two franchises, are pretty striking in terms yeah. of two teams that have had really consistent management for a long period of time until the Blazers fired Terry Stotts over the offseason and now this this change in the front office. Uh, both drafted offensive-minded stars who like hitting from deep. Uh, in 2012 and have had these great runs of success obviously not quite the highs for the Blazers that the Seahawks enjoyed in in 2013 and for 59 minutes in 2014 uh, 
but both now facing the possibility of those stars maybe wanting a new start somewhere else that came up this past offseason. And suddenly the Blazers having to navigate this with a an interim GM in Joe Cronin, who's been their salary cap expert, assistant GM, and was promoted to interim GM after Olshea was fired. Uh, we'll see how quickly they move to hire a long-term replacement and whether Cronin is a candidate for that job. I, I reject the idea that there are similarities between these two teams as somebody who is, I mean, I can accept that there are similarities in as much as that our brain likes to see similarities between two different things, but I reject the idea that there are similarities between these two teams in as much as the, the Seahawks had Russell Wilson get injured for a season. Granted, Damian Lillard was has been injured for this Blazers season, and it's a down year for them. That's that's part of the parallel is the injuries exposing how bad the infrastructure was around him. Although the people had a better idea of that in the Blazers case than in the Seahawks case. There's no returning from this for the Blazers. This is it for the Blazers, and I want to have a conversation about kind of where they go from here. The Seahawks could run it back with Russell Wilson for another decade and be competitive. The basketball is a different sport. Damian Lillard is a different player than Russell Wilson is. Having a top 10 possibly point guard in the NBA in that sort of fringe like 8th through 15th range sometimes a little bit better maybe sometimes a little bit worse no, you've, point- you've gotten in trouble before in this podcast saying 8th through 15th best I, nobody, nobody cares about the Blazers I care the most about the Blazers <laughs> here so but but having a player like Damian Lillard as they age is different than having a star quarterback and having a star quarterback yes. as they age is and- is it's the a NBA different is different beast. than the NFL because you, you can't reload as quickly. I, I understand the comparison and the need to compare these two things, but I reject I reject the similarities because as long as, we'll knock on wood when we say this, as long as Russell Wilson is the quarterback of the Seahawks, the Seahawks will be fine. But I don't want to spoil that section. We'll talk about that later. But what the fuck is going on with the Blazers? Like, you want to talk about the Kraken curse? The curse has driven down I-5 and oh. ended up at the Rose Garden right I now. Mean, the Blazers had their own curses. Like, uh, a, a colleague of mine texted me today that the Blazers are cursed because we, we got the news that, uh, and and get well soon on this, CJ, it's scary news that CJ McCollum has a collapsed lung after a collision on Saturday night against the Blazers, or against the Celtics, where he was initially diagnosed with bruised ribs. And uh, he's out simultaneously to Lillard missing at least another week here. Uh, Nasir Little has also been out of the lineup. So they're they're very shorthanded. But I was like, look, this ain't got nothing on the end of the Greg Oden, Brandon Roy era when there was like the night where we all thought we were going to get news that Brandon Roy was going to have arthroscopic knee surgery and be out for a while. But instead, the news we got was that Greg Oden was having knee surgery and was out for the season. Like that's the scale that the Blazers were working with. Bill Walton, Sam Bowie, Odin, the injuries, et cetera. Like, it, that's a whole different scale than CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard being out a couple of weeks. Collapsed lung is like fully the scariest injury to be diagnosed with. Every time I hear that, I'm just like, give me a fucking torn ACL or whatever. I do not want to hear the term collapsed lung. What does that mean practically? I, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor here. I, the, the article I read on it indicated that typically it means that air has entered, entered the lung cavity and needs to come out of there, basically. Like there's air between it and the ribs. How long does that take? Uh, the typical, it's a couple weeks, two to three weeks usually. 
That's all. I mean, See, that's... when I hear collapse lung, I'm like, get me out of here. It's not like iron lung or anything that's like that. That's why I'm just like, I will be on bed rest. than it actually is. I... Okay. It's not like a... I will have my Animal Crossing island popping at the end of this because I am not getting up. But obviously scary, and we hope CJ gets well soon. But I, I assume that what you're thinking is, is bigger in terms of these questions about the Blazers. I mean, I guess basically you look at the season. We understand that Damon Lillard is somehow on the precipice of a contract extension. Uh, I got to admit. This one snuck off on me. I had no idea about it. The Athletic mentioned it in their report on this on Monday morning. And then Woj in his report uh, today, my my ESPN colleague mentioned that it's really kind of looming over the Blazers' search for a new GM because their choices are basically to hire a GM who you know would be very invested in keeping Damian Lillard and offering him this extension. Uh, certainly Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who's the president of the G League, has been mentioned as a candidate. He was a Goodwin client for many years, like Damian Lillard is. That would probably represent that direction. Or if you go to someone else who is going to look at this from coming from the outside and say the idea of offering Damian Lillard uh, uh, over $105 million for two seasons, 2024-25 and 2025-26, uh, is he's in his you know mid to late 30 excuse me 2020 it starts in 2025 26 and then also 2026 27 when he's in his mid to late 30s like that's that's a very worrisome notion we've seen these big contracts for point guards become very difficult to trade uh, and that's why john wall is currently not playing basketball for the houston rockets on, on like a personal level and we saw it with the kobe contract right it was like the lakers kind of had they had to do it because of everything that Kobe had achieved for them. From a basketball standpoint, it was probably a bad decision for them to extend Kobe. Yeah. I mean, their logic was, look, it shows people that we take care of our players, but that still didn't convince free agents to come there until LeBron decided he wanted to be in L.A. Many oh, years it's, later. it's different being in L.A. It's not like the Blazers taking care of Dame Lillard doesn't mean that they're going to sign LeBron James. Yes. It so, uh, the but also, I mean, the... What Dame Lillard has done for the organization, I understand sort of the instincts of that. Also, he's a very good player. He's the best player to play for the Blazers since Clyde Drexler. I mean, I, there's the the question, the debate, I think, is whether he or Clyde Drexler has had the greatest Blazers career. I mean, you could maybe throw Walton in there, but he he obviously wasn't there as long. So I understand it from that perspective, but it does feel like when you look at the CJ injury, when you look at the Dame injury, when you look at the record, this season feels a little bit like a wash. For the Blazers, even though it's early and they are currently in the playing game, but also you have to kind of factor in where are we going from here? You know, again, this is not football. Why, where are, you, why are we paying the luxury tax? Yeah, where you can hang around and maybe get lucky when you're in the 10 seed. There's no getting lucky like there's no lucking your way into the finals from that place in the NBA. Obviously, the 10 seed hasn't even existed for more than two seasons, but like from that spot even if they were hovering around the eight seed or something like that, the six, like the chances of them turning that into a championship are probably pretty slim. And it does feel like there's some interesting young talent on the roster. I've gotten to the point, even though Dame Lillard's my favorite basketball player, non UW basketball player since Gary Payton. I do feel like as a fan of Dame Lillard, I wouldn't mind him being traded. Uh, so I was on the low post that came out on 
earlier today on Tuesday, and uh, Zach Lowe and I talked a lot about kind of different directions, possible trades for Dame, and then other trades that the the Blazers could make to try to you know find a different combination around him. A lot of those involving CJ McCollum and then Yusuf Nurkic is in the last year of his contract. I also think. Robert Covington getting traded is close to a lock since he's in the last year of his deal. And that's one way they could make sure they duck the luxury tax. So a a lot of moving pieces there and a lot of players that are getting older. And this is a core that, I mean, people have had a target on the Blazers back for so long because for some reason, the roster construction of having two very good guards really bothers people around the NBA. Well, also people view it as, it's, it's similar to coaching changes. They view it as the way you get better is to make changes. And no, changes creates the potential for getting better, but it also creates the potential for getting a lot worse. I, I think at this point, though, with the Blazers, I think we've sort of crossed over to the other side. Yes, we're, we're across the Rubicon. That's exactly what I said on the low post. So uh, I personally was all for running it back with the Blazers for a period of time. Was I don't think this Chauncey hire was a good hire for so many different reasons. Um, I and mean, that, that was kind of like the, the – obviously it was you know not the specific behavior that caused him to be fired, but that was, Neil O'Shea lost a lot of – he used up a lot of credit to make that coaching change and to throw Terry Stotts, who had had a great run in Portland, completely under the bus and say – the 29th in defense is not a product in the roster. Well, it turns out it wasn't. Terry Stotts was dragging them somehow to 29th because guess where they are now? They're dead fucking last. Are they? A defense? They are. That's but your this, roster, Neil Olshay. At the same time, it's like, as the Portland Trailblazers organization, Neil Olshay is being fired for violating the code of conduct of the Blazers, and you just hired a coach who was accused of rape in the early 2000s? Like... Uh, I'm sorry, but how how do these two things jibe at the same time? How do you do that as an organization? So both on the court and off the court, this hire is a pretty huge question mark. And I think it's kind of turned off a lot of Blazers fans in general about the organization. You have the play on the court. You have the roster aging. You have no real potential for any sort of significant growth from there unless something miraculous happens. And I do think it's time to blow it up, starting with Chauncey Billups, if they were down for it, to basically blow up the entire organization. Yeah, I don't get that indication. I, I would be very surprised if that happened. That they were going to just tear it down? They might trade everyone. I don't. I think Chauncey Billups will still be part of their future. Well, I mean, it's a, that's a capitalism issue. Like, I don't think that's just a capitalism issue. It wasn't just Neil Olshay who hired him. I mean... Obviously, you know, ownership in the form of Jody Allen and Burt Coldy from the Vulcan group were involved in making that decision. They're going to sign off on a decision of that magnitude. So, but, but on the court, the team that they're putting together, like I could see the idea of a bit of a rebuild on the fly. I personally am very pro the idea of a Ben Simmons trade uh, and just giving it a go. I mean, how old is Ben Simmons right now? 25. 25 years old, 25-year-old All-NBA player, phenomenal defensive player, one of the best defensive players in the league. I mean, when you look at, I, I don't know whether it would be Dame or CJ. Obviously, there's a huge difference between those two. If they, I just don't, I think the Sixers are holding out for Dame. I don't see them making a move for CJ. Like, you, I mean, if, if they were interested in making a move for CJ, that deal would have been done three months ago. 
And that's the thing. It's like, this is what Daryl Morey does. He will wait you out until he can get the superstar. CJ McCollum is not a Daryl Morey type of player. Dame Lillard is a Daryl Morey type of player. And in some ways, it might make more sense for the Blazers if they're able to get Tyrese Maxey out of that deal as well. I'm I'm personally down for the idea of you can bring in, I think you can kind of do both. We'll see where Ben Simmons is at mentally and where his game is at in general. But like, you know, building around Nasir Little, Anthony Simons, players like that, throw ben, throwing Ben Simmons into the mix to help shore up the defense. I think it's an intriguing team. I don't know if they're, you know, I, I, do they have their first round pick this year? It is, they sent it to Chicago in the Larry Nance deal, but there's protection on it. I want to say off the top of my head, it's lottery protected. Okay, so if they do, if they were this season, let's say Damon CJ are hurt for a long period of time and things get real rough, you know, if they're able to put in a top 10 pick with somebody like Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, and a few of the other young pieces that they have around him, I think that's an intriguing team going into next year. Agreed. And I yeah. would be happy. I mean, I my view of this is as a person who ultimately... I'm I'm a Blazers fan from afar. I'm a Blazers fan out of necessity. And also I'm a Blazers fan because they have Dame Lillard. Like if they didn't have Dame Lillard, I don't know if I would have ever even bothered being a Blazers fan, right? If they were the fucking, I don't know. Everybody I thought of has star players. No. <laughs> like, but if they were the Indiana Pacers or something like that, sorry, Mike. Well, like the, the Indiana Pacers also heading towards a rebuild, as it turns out. But that's what I'm saying. If they were a team who's like constantly been struggling to find a star over this period of time, they didn't have maybe the most exciting player in the entire NBA. Like it, it would have been hard to have become a fan of theirs. And so I've done that because they had Damian Lillard to a, a huge degree. And if Dame goes to Philly, I'm still going to cheer for Dame Lillard. Of course. Also, fucking Dame and Matisse together. Let's fucking go. Well, Matisse, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I guess he wouldn't probably be part of the return if it is for Dame because he is yet another Goodwin client. Uh, two things. Number one, that pick is lottery protected to Chicago. Uh, then the other thing I want to point out is like the Blazers have managed to pull off some remarkable pivots where they've rebuilt without going going into the lottery during the period that I've been following them. The first time was when they got Dame at the trade deadline in 2011. At, well, they got the pick that became Dame at the trade deadline in Jill 2012 Wallace. after everything fell apart. Yeah. Uh, at the end of kind of that Roy Odin era uh, where both of those players were, it was the same day they made that trade was when they waived Greg Odin, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. And then, then again, when LaMarcus Aldridge went to San Antonio, and it was like, okay, well, the team's going to be bad now, but instead CJ McCollum steps up, they get some undervalued players, and they just go into this new run with Dame. Well, so, and the Nurk trade also. Uh, yeah. The thing that it reminds me the most of, though, is a trade from our... It was a very difficult trade for us uh, when we were young, but it was flipping Gary Payton, who is somebody who is older. I Not as old. Gary, Gary was older than Dame is right now, right? Yeah, he but was like 34. How old is Dame? Is 31? I don't know. Is that a huge difference? And how old was Ray Allen at the time? He was probably like 28. These numbers all match up right now. <laughs> I, I'm saying like Ben Simmons, I think, I, I don't know if the Sixers are undervaluing Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is probably undervalued as a player around the league, though, in this moment. And in the way that maybe it was only the Bucks who were undervaluing Ray Allen in that moment. But like, it was it was George Carl. It was specifically George Carl. George Carl undervaluing Ray Allen, overvaluing Gary Payton. Great, but like, 
I, I don't know. I Daryl Moore has been swindled before. You know, there was a Russell Westbrook trade. Like, it's not like he, his level of responsibility for that trade is debated. I'm sure it is, but this is not like person who's never lost a trade. This isn't like you're not I, dealing with Belichick here. He, he did trade a lot of stuff for Robert Covington. Before the Blazers did. <laughs> traded the same amount of stuff for Robert Covington. Well, he traded Clint Capella, uh, who, you know, they kind of needed to trade him because of Westbrook, but has turned out to be very, very valuable in Atlanta. But I, I personally would be pretty intrigued to see what that roster looks like. And I think they could potentially rebuild on the fly around Ben Simmons. And I would like to cheer for Ben Simmons, I think. Uh, Ray was 27 at the time. Gary Payton was, in fact, 34. So Gary Payton was seven years older. Yeah, it was like six and change, basically. Then Ray Allen. How how much older is Dame than Ben Simmons? Six. Yeah. It really makes you think, doesn't it? They might even throw in Desmond Mason. <laughs> That's Tyrese Maxey. Is Tyrese Maxey not Desmond Mason? We threw in Desmond Mason. Oh, though. we traded Desmond Mason. Okay. In Never this mind. scenario, Tyrese Maxey is the Luke Ridenour or the Flip Murray, depending on your perspective. <laughs> That's I was think I thought it was Desmond Mason and Flip Murray. Okay, Flip Murray came back. Yeah, he well, did. Or Kevin Ollie, if you prefer that one. Oh man, I like them all. Oh, it was a great trade. Loved it. So, I I'm intrigued by that trade and what the roster could look like around that, and I think it's now it's time to do it. Like, Dame's value is probably not going to be any higher than it is in this moment. I mean, it might make more sense, I think, to do it in the offseason. It's just easier to make these kind of big salary trades at that point. Is Ben Simmons going to be there in the offseason, though? I don't think Ben's... Uh, I mean, certainly if Damian Lillard is a possibility, the Sixers will wait him out. But the most trades like this, what we've seen recently have been superstar player for a bunch of picks. And that's the rest of the options that they're looking at, right? There's no other option where you can get an all, a, in his prime 26, 25, 25 and in his prime 25 year old, all NBA player. Like, am I, is this, what is going on? I understand that Ben Simmons like passed up an open dunk on the biggest stage last season, but there's more to basketball than just scoring. Well, like he, is, he has also been unwilling to play for the Sixers this season. This, that's it. the reason they're trying to trade him. I understand that, but you, you see what I'm saying? Like these yes. are not almost any of these teams, right? The Pelicans, when they traded Anthony Davis, you think they wouldn't like a player like Ben Simmons back? Although they did, they did get some good young players in that trade. Ben Simmons is probably better Brandon than Ingram, but isn't Ben Simmons probably better than Brandon Ingram will ever be. It's an interesting debate. I actually would probably take Lonzo out of those three guys. Well, they didn't. They didn't know how to value Lonzo. So they didn't know. Oh, well, that's a that's an entirely separate issue altogether. Like we've talked enough about the Blazers. Let's Ugh, get to Seattle sports. Let's fucking do this trade, Blazers. Just shake <laughs> it up. We just need something. It's boring being a Blazers fan right now. I haven't written trade grades in so long. I am ready. There we go. What would you grade that trade? If it was. So like Simmons and Maxi for Lillard, yeah. It... I mean, I think that's probably a a solid B plus for the Sixers and a B plus or an A minus for the Blazers, depending if they get a first round pick or not. Yeah, there we go. Call it in. 
Yeah, we've ju- we've just seen the machine judge the process. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the Kraken, who were were going strong for a period of time. They did lose Wednesday at Detroit in the final game of their four game road trip, but in a shootout, uh, losing two one after tying three three through overtime. So they got the point there, and then came home and knocked off the Edmonton Oilers, one of the most talented teams in the league, four three in a thriller. On Friday, the fourth win in a two-week span among the league's top t- against the, the league's top ten teams for the expansion Kraken, and then all that goodwill kind of dissipated on Monday when they lost six to one to Pittsburgh. Uh, Philip Grubauer gave up three goals in the first five minutes and seven seconds before being pulled and replaced by Joey Decord the rest of the night. It's the second time this season that Grubauer has been pulled from a game, equaling his total of the last two seasons combined in Colorado. Uh, Decord currently serving as a backup with Chris Drieger sidelined after a nice stretch where he started several games there. Drieger in defenseman Mark Giordana did return to practice Tuesday, the latter, after finishing a 10-day quarantine when he tested positive for COVID-19 in Tampa during the Kraken's road trip. So uh, a couple more home games for the Kraken on this homestand to try to get things going back in the right direction. All right, this is, we've reached the Sounders portion of this, which is where we have to acknowledge that the Portland Timbers have made MLS Cup and are hosting MLS Cup. Oh, God. Is this part of the cracking curse? Oh, yes. I, I truly, my favorite thing is that 30 seconds after talking at the Blazers as if they're our home <laughs> team, we were talking about the hated Portland Timbers. We in the day, it's a complex mix. Ah, Timbers! I mean, I had John Hollinger on press road next to me wearing uh, his, his Timbers hat. Why? Is he like, from Portland? I thought he was from fucking Hawaii or something. Uh, he's from New Jersey, but he lived in Portland for many years. So he adopted adopted the Timbers and uh, streaming the game and showing me the highlights of the goals. It was it was just the worst. It was the worst possible timing to see my buddy John Hollinger. You're, you're name dropping. It's a little bit of name dropping, but also insulting yourself. I did come uh, back at the end of the night when I pointed out that we still have the Cas- Cascadia Cup. There we go. <laughs> you got him back when you showed him that you dub men soccer in the <laughs> whatever cup, <laughs> whatever we're I, calling it. College cup. Col- but I, we, there's got to be a good soccer word. The footy four. <laughs> Great. I'm trying here. It's the best we've got so far. Uh, is this part of the Kraken curse? Absolutely it is. And it's funny because success for Portland in soccer is part of the Kraken curse. Also, lack of success in basketball <laughs> is somehow also part of the Kraken curse. It's a complicated curse, people. Look, there are many variants to the to the curse. You never know that, what's going to hit you. That's the term you, you want to use. There yes. are variants to it. There, many variants to the Kraken curse. You never know how it's going to evade uh, uh, <laughs> defenses that you might have emotionally built up. Wow. Well, you know what defenses I emotionally built up and came down? They weren't needed. It was when Oregon played in the Pac-12 championship on Friday and got destroyed for the second time in three weeks by Utah. And I would say if the, the, the curse truly extended to our rivals, then Oregon would be playing in the college football Acc- playoff According right to you, Oregon's not even a rival of UW. You don't even care about Oregon. All you care about is Wazoo. 
I didn't say that. I said that's that we're, you. Not, we're not playing on the same level as, you, as Oregon. Somehow they're going to get a coach that's better than Mario Cristobal. And this is all going to be part. Like, if Mario, Mario Cristobal is going to crash and burn at the University of Miami, and that would have happened at Oregon, but instead Oregon will hire somebody who is better than. It'll be fucking Chip Kelly, and Chip Kelly will come back to UW and beat us here, and it'll be the worst moment of our lives. Look, it's, it's a curse long play. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, Joe Moore sh- had also got the Akron job, by the way. Oh, did he really? He did. Oh, I had no idea. Well, yeah. congrats to Joe Moorhead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like we should talk college football uh, later when we're talking college football, not when we're talking soccer. But you weren't planning on it. Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna talk about college football <laughs> later. I'm not saying that. I'm we're talking about curses right now. We're just talking about the state of and Oregon. And it's Joe Moorhead curse because he has to coach at Akron. This is this is the kind of the fabulous Oregon cast. Or not so fabulous, maybe. Positive or negative. So that's my case against this. Also, like the Timbers, it's not like the Timbers just reached MLS Cup for the first time. Either the Sounders or the Timbers have played in MLS Cup, have represented the Western Conference every year since 2014. This is a pretty wild streak. I mean, the, the home of American soccer on the West Coast is definitely in the Pacific Northwest. Four Sounders appearances in that span, three for the Timbers. Sounders have taken home two MLS Cups. Timbers looking for their second. Uh, also, I got to say, this is this is the third year that they've done the single elimination playoffs. And I don't want to be complaining about it just because the Timbers made it to MLS Cup and are hosting. Because it definitely applied to the Sounders in 2019 when we won it too. Mm-hmm. But like, the no, no, no number one seed in either conference has made it any of those three years to MLS cup. And this is, this year will be a matchup of two number four seeds. Half of the six teams to play in MLS cup since they went to the single elimination format have been number four seeds. Like it's kind of ridiculous. I wonder if there's something about being the number. I guess it's that if you knock off the number one seed, you become the number one seed. Yeah. I'm the captain now. Uh, I, you're saying that teams who performed well throughout the season are not being rewarded enough in the playoffs. That is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Maybe no playoffs. It's not the worst idea in the world. It's somehow working in the EPL and in every other major soccer league throughout the world. Well, except the Champions League. You know the the intercontinental or the. Uh, dim- International competitions, not the, but the domestic leagues do not have them. Uh, Sounders exercised their 2022 options on seven players, Javier Arriaga, Josh Atencio, A.B. Suzoko, Joao Paulo, Jimmy Madronda, Jordan Morris, and Raul Ria Diaz. Uh, still trying to work out a long-term deal with Ria Diaz with some reports of friction there that are a little concerning. Other starters under contract for 2022 include Stefan Fry, Yamir Gomez, Andrade, Nico Ladero, Nuhu, Christian Roldan, and Brad Smith. From that group, the Sounders must choose 12 players to protect for the MLS expansion draft, with Charlotte FC picking up to five players from the 22 eligible teams next Tuesday. Wow, they really just keep adding teams. Oh, they, they sure do. Uh, notable options declined include Nicola Benize, Freddie Montero, and Kellen Rowe, with Will Bruin backup keeper Stephen Cleveland, Shane O'Neill, and Alex Roldan all out of contract. 
Some of them will surely resign, but Ben is a posted a farewell to Seattle on social media, so it sounds like not him. Oh wow, dear Seattle, you're welcome. <laughs> it was a good run. I I had forgotten until I was doing that MLS Cup research that Nicola Benze scored against the Sounders in MLS Cup 2019 for for Toronto. Oh no, never liked him anyway. Um, <laughs> look, we're we're over here celebrating taking a W because at Climate Pledge Arena there's a basketball locker room, and in the MLS they would give anybody a soccer franchise. Yeah, it's very different. I just like. Uh, Everett's gonna have a team pretty soon. Bellingham, I mean Yakima's the 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 Palm Springs of the Northwest. Give them a soccer team. I mean they have been very successful in the Northwest. Maybe we should just keep adding teams here. That's, Vegas, that's actually... Vegas is apparently going to be the next expansion team, the thirtieth. It's unclear how much farther they're going to go beyond thirty. It's only they're only at thirty right now. That'll be you know yes, they're at twenty nine currently. All right. Will Rain also prepping for an expansion draft next Thursday with Angel City FC and San Diego Wave both coming online this year, selecting up to one player each from the other teams besides the Kansas City current who are exempt. The Rain can protect up to nine players, only one of whom can be allocated from the U.S. Women's National Team, which means Megan Rapino will likely be exposed again in favor of protecting Roosevelt, as was the case last year when Louisville entered the league. Uh, expansion teams can only take one player from the U.S. Women's National Team Allocation Group piece. That protected list is due on Friday for the rain. I love the fuck around and find out, not protection. <laughs> it's great. I mean, they these teams know that Megan Rapino probably wants to be in Seattle. Probably wants know. to be in Seattle. I mean, LA, it's, that wouldn't be the worst place in the world. It's not Louisville. I guess that's true. Super's not going to play forever. At some point, Megan Rapino may not be as tied to Seattle. Megan Rapino's a real fixture of San Diego now. <laughs> I didn't say San Diego. I said LA. I know. All right. UW women's basketball. Megan Rapino taking... really loves the military community. Uh, first game in nearly two weeks on Friday at Seattle University, which has started 4-3 and three and got a nice win last Thursday at Boise State. Utah men's basketball, unfortunately, was scheduled to play their Pac-12 openers last week, but were unable to do so. Uh, Ben Bolch of the Los Angeles Times reported that seven Utah players and coaches entered health and safety protocols, preventing them from playing their two scheduled Pac-12 games. Uh, Per a Utah spokesman, all players and coaches are vaccinated, so that's good news. Uh, Hopefully, you know, the case that they're only experiencing mild symptoms, but the Utah Arizona game that was scheduled for last Thursday was rescheduled for January 25th, and the UCLA game that was to be played on Sunday has been forfeited based on updated Pac-12 rules this season, which provide that if the two sides can't find an agreeable date to postpone the game to, that it will be considered a forfeit, despite the fact that we're still playing through an active pandemic that may or may not be getting worse at the moment. It is pretty wild to be punished. It's not like the players chose. If everybody on the team is vaccinated, that's it. That's what you do. Or if there's like some sort of violation of protocol, I suppose I can get it. But yeah, no. Otherwise, it's ridiculous to make it a forfeit they, instead of a they clearly, cancellation. They clearly got it through means of playing, right? You said it was at the tournament in South Dakota. Do you I mean, think these clear... fucking players wanted to go to South Dakota? 
It's not clear, but Nevada also has had to cancel their last two games due to COVID protocols after their coach Steve Alford tested positive last week in the wake of their trip to the crossover classic where they played against UW. Uh, All players and coaches for Nevada also vaccinated. Wow. Today I learned that Steve Alford is the coach of Nevada. Um, (laughs) We talked about it last week on the (laughs) podcast. I'm almost certain. (laughs) Maybe even the last two weeks. Every week. It's like Steve Alford is, is Steve Alford. I mean, I learned it when, when they played Nevada, but then we previewed the game and then we recapped it. It's game. like, I'm the, sure I mentioned a, it both times. I'm not going to not mention Twitter Steve or whatever. Alford. Every week, you're going to have to be like, Steve Alford, the coach of Nevada still. There's going to be, this is the new Jay Kaner update. All of a sudden, oh. Steve Alford will be the coach of UW. <laughs> The, let me tell you, we're not. We're probably not going to do a Pepperdine update this season. It's not been going super great for Low Road this year. Oh, oof. lost uh, Kessler Edwards to the NBA. It's not the same. But like, if they got went to South Dakota, most I, likely got COVID by traveling to South Dakota, you shouldn't have to forfeit a game because of that it should just be nothing. How is it not nothing? I agree. I also, agree how do you leave assessment. it up to the two schools? God, I hate college sports. There's no overarching institution. It is a bunch of separate institutions with their own individual goals that are tenuously connected to each other. I mean, the Pac-12 is the overarching institution. But if they, they should do it then, the do Pac-12 it. should be like, you two are playing this day. I... It's not like there's no day that these two teams could play each other. Or just like make it a no contest it shouldn't be forfeited the ncaa does not actually recognize it as a win for ucla but it's also like there's a different incentive like arizona wants to play the home game against uw this game was scheduled in seattle so ucla can be just like now we're good and it's on uw so fucking steve alford head coach of ucla (laughs) god uh anyway i i don't want this to be construed for the fact that i would care about this game at all um, a UW basketball game and whether they win or lose or not. We know the outcome of the game. It's more from a process standpoint that I'm annoyed about it. It's a principle matter. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, assuming the Huskies are able to return to action next Sunday, oh, they will be facing number five Gonzaga in Spokane. Still the Ken Palm number one after their losses to Duke and then at Al- against Alabama at Climate Pledge Arena last Saturday. Sometimes there's glitches in the computer. Oh, wow. Sandwiched around an uncomfortably close home win over Tarleton State last Thursday. The Zags do host Merrimack before the UW game. Gonzaga uh, did earlier this season indicate that they are the number one team with big wins over Texas at home and UCLA and Las Vegas in a game that was not forfeited. It was just lost. Uh, Zags remain number two in adjusted offensive efficiency. Four of five starters posted a true shooting percentage of 0.625 or better. And both Drew Timmy and freshman and possible number one pick Chet Holmgren are in the top 10 of the KPOY rankings, KPOY rankings on Ken Palm. So the Huskies, their chances of winning according to Ken Palm are 1%. Are you kidding me? 1%. What was the They're, team that, that almost beat Gonzaga? Tarleton State. Well, Tarleton State is not substantially worse than UW at this point. If they were New America craziness site, in the kennel? What am I looking at here? That's that's their Midnight Madness event. Bellarmine? What team did they, did they play close that's, with? That's an exhibition. Tarleton State. <laughs> Merrimack? 
<laughs> okay, scroll up from there. You've gone too far in the schedule. Again, they have not yet played Merrimack. Where is Merrimack University? <laughs> I, it's definitely in New England. I want to say Maine is my guess for Merrimack. Where the before fuck I did they find this college? Well, like most colleges, it's in Massachusetts. Okay, there you go. I guess Which it's is, prob- probably a pretty fair guess. If you were to name a college, Ohio or Massachusetts, it's usually the answer. I mean, I knew it was in New England. I should have just gone Massachusetts. That was a <laughs> smart play. New England. Uh, I, I feel like there's more than a 1% chance in this game. <laughs> You're going to give them a 2% chance of victory? <laughs> I'm giving Double them a 100% the chances. chance of why do you schedule this in the middle of the day on an NFL Sunday? Is it actually in the middle of the day? 2 p.m., I believe. Okay. Well, there you go. That that game will be viewed by Gonzaga fans and zero other people. They I mean they lucked out that you that the that the Seahawks are playing a morning game. Did they luck out? <laughs> Didn't who lucked out here? People watching UW play basketball is not necessarily looking out for UW. Oh no, I'm saying Gonzaga locked, lucked out. Not I see. I assume that the Gonzaga Seahawks overlap is probably pretty good. Yes, no, that that probably is pretty good. Yes, I agree. Uh and there could be some people I mean, who are casual also, Gonzaga fans who would this watch also the Seahawks game, instead. Game was also scheduled after the Seahawks game, long after the Seahawks game. Fair enough. All right, let's talk about some coming Lots, s- high degree of confidence that that game wouldn't get flexed. <laughs> the Texans game, yeah, yeah, or move, move to the afternoon. It's like one of the signature afternoon games. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. We did get a, you know, what it was remarkable. We got a pretty damn good crew from CBS for that game after it got flexed out of Sunday night. Who was Kevin crew? Harlan and oh. Tiki Barber was? Because I was very worried about it. We were gonna get. Wait, did you care? <laughs> what do you mean you were very worried? The quality of the broadcast matters to me. I'm not. I'm watching it. You're not. I'm not at this stadium like you. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's talk about some newcomers to the UW football coaching staff. Hello. As we mentioned, as a possibility last week, Ryan Grubb is following Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State as offensive coordinator and QB coach. Grubb and DeBoer previously worked together at both the University of Sioux Falls and Eastern Michigan. Before Grubb joined him at Fresno State, first as offensive line coach and run game coordinator. When DeBoer was offensive coordinator in 2017 and 18, then promoted to offensive coordinator when DeBoer spent 2019 in Indi- at Indiana and retained the same role when DeBoer returned to Fresno as head coach, has called plays for the Bulldogs the last three seasons and expected to continue doing so in Seattle. I mean, have to, basically, we're bringing in Kalen DeBoer for the whole Kalen DeBoer experience. So bringing Ben Grubb with him is part of the Kalen DeBoer experience. Ryan Grubb. Uh, bringing Ryan Grubb with him is part of the Kalen DeBoer experience, so we have to feel good about it. I mean, the reality is, if we feel good about Kalen DeBoer, we feel good about Ryan Grubb. And I think having that continuity with the staff, with Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, who obviously know how to work well together, with, we'll talk about, potentially the same quarterback, uh, you know, moving all of those over, plus even potential other players from that Fresno State offense, like, there's going to be as much continuity as you can possibly have through a coaching change. And having an offensive coordinator that's your head coach who has an offensive background trust to call plays. So that's kind of off his plate on game day. That's a big deal. And it's something that DeBoer talked about his introductory press conference, which again signaled, yeah, he was probably going to hire Ryan Grubb. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah, unless Grubb got the head coaching job at Fresno State, but instead a familiar face at Fresno Hello. State sounds like Jeff Tedford. That's the most Pelicast move of all time. <laughs> uh, which means he he won't be involved with DeBoer's coaching staff at UW, which would have been cool. But hey, you know, good for Fresno State. We don't want to like leave them completely. Uh, you know, he's part of DeBoer's coaching staff in spirit. Jeff Tedford taught Galen DeBoer everything he knows. It appears so. Uh, the Huskies also hired Courtney Morgan away from Michigan as director of player personnel to oversee recruiting. Morgan served in a similar role under DeBoer at Fresno State in 2020 before being hired by Michigan, his alma mater, last offseason. So pulling him away from his alma mater, which also happens to be Michigan, which is a team that's currently played in the college football playoff, that's a pretty good hire. This shit right here, I have never been so excited about a director of player personnel, but I Hell saw yeah. that you see him and I'm just like, I want to fucking play for you, right? Like you, you can feel the energy from this dude that he is just like, he's going to go out there and get these players and bring them home. Like, especially when you look at that, he could tell people like I had this job, the exact same job at my alma mater, the university of Michigan, a hundred thousand people. Kevin Pelton was so impressed to go into that stadium. And I chose to come here to <laughs> Seattle, Washington. Like uh, I personally was blown away by this director of player personnel hire. And people talked about how they were concerned about Kalen DeBoer's ability re to recruit. Like this, this just helps the whole process. And Courtney Morgan has a lot of experience on the West Coast. He wasn't necessarily in a recruiting role, but do you know which coach actually brought him into college football coaching? Steve Sarkeesian? Jim Elmora. <laughs> With the opposite wow. direction on But you. Jim Elmora, can, he can recruit. Oh, he can definitely recruit. But he was at that point more working, I think, on the kind of the the off-the-field aspect, more of a director of player programs, as you, which we'd call it in the NBA. But so he'll bring that... He'll bring that experience as well as the recruiting aspect that he's been working on. Uh, started doing that at San Jose State, then Fresno State under DeBoer, and then Michigan most recently. Oh, so, I love this shit. And definitely Michigan fans seem upset about this. So that's Do they? The, that's the best endorsement. I mean, it's pretty wild that he left, right? Like, it is. They must be I, – I think that – obviously, they, they were not paying Kalen DeBoer as much as they were willing to offer Matt Campbell, so that probably opened up some money elsewhere. Also, as I've mentioned numerous times, there's an endless pit of money in college football. It does not end. The money never, ever, ever ends, especially when we're talking about situations like this where, you know, to beat the Michigan offer, we're not talking about probably millions of dollars. Like, it's the kind of play situation where they can kick some extra money there. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter because the money is endless. Well, hopefully some of that NIL money is earmarked for Jake Hayner. There we go. If Jake Hayner returns to UW, as was widely rumored slash reported last weekend, <sighs> although he told Mike Varela of the Seattle Times that he had not made a decision, had not committed, uh, had not made a decision as yet. I mean, if this actually, like, we'll save the full analysis for an emergency pod if and when this does happen. But if it happens, it's one of the most remarkable moments in Pelton Cast history. <laughs> most remarkable moments in Pelton Cast history. It's up there with you calling Jermaine Curse scoring a touchdown in the Super Bowl before the playoffs had started. 
the fact that we were tracking every single week wh- what would become UW's starting quarterback for next year. I guess we don't have to get into the full emergency pod that will come. Like this isn't this isn't uh, uh, this trumps almost anything else. Jake Hayner gets his own emergency pod, and we're hoping that it happens before Christmas so we can have a very Haney Jakemas like. Uh, this move would be a monster move. Again, talking about the continuity that we'd have with Kalen DeBoer, with Ryan Krupp, with Jake Hayner. Also a rumor that wide receiver. Somebody. <laughs> you were supposed to be looking that name up. I'm working on it. Uh, How quickly do you think I'm going to get it? Oh, Jalen Cropper not entering the transfer portal. Ah, uh, that was the wide the receiver. recent update. Yes. Bullshit. Must be a Tedford guy. Uh, um, I, either way being able to have an experienced quarterback like Jake Hayner, who had just had a very, very good season under this exact staff, who's obviously familiar with UW, it would be pretty huge. I mean, many of the players who are on this roster likely played with Jake Hayner a couple of years ago are familiar with him as a person. It's not somebody, there are situations where a quarterback can come in from the outside and immediately inherit the starting job. And I think it can feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like we were here first. Jake Hayner was here first before <laughs> all of the other quarterback prospects. So like, it, it, you know, he went away and the prodigal son has returned to UW. To he has d- not yet returned. Will return to UW. But the other piece was there've been quite a few top level quarterbacks who've entered the transfer portal. And I think there was a moment there where it felt like, Hayner well, there's, was, there's there's another notable quarterback has entered the transfer portal. But Hayner felt like maybe he would be the most desirable quarterback to enter the transfer portal. And I think if you're a school that is has a very good roster but just needs a quarterback, I think there are other quarterbacks out there. It's not like all eyes on Jake Hayner. He, this is a move that he's not going to be hounded by that Alabama's of the world necessarily, even though he is a very good quarterback. So I... I think it's going down. You know, it was something that seemed pretty likely to happen. He's probably just waiting for whatever reason to sort out some sort of details before making it official. Uh, But this is the, I mean, this makes the Kalen DeBoer hire. I will tell you right now, I think UW are the favorites in the Pac-12 North next year. If, if Jake Hayner commits to UW. I don't know if I buy that. I'm getting, I'll tell you this. I don't think it would be too far to say it's feeling like Joe Burrow at LSU. That's what we're seeing right here. This is the groundswell. Everyone remain calm. This is the groundswell that's happening around UW football. You know, all the other pieces are solid. Every other piece was solid. All we needed was a quarterback. Offensive line uh, solid. Offensive lines are a byproduct of play calling. All you needed. (laughs) They beat a fucking player on the all pack 12 team on the offensive line, which not sure how that happened, but uh, all we needed was a quarterback and some play calling and some and rule some changes, rule changes. Oh, to James. allow Jake Hayner to transfer well, to UW. Those yes, are the rule true. changes we need, which it sounds like there is a strong belief that his waiver for immediately immediate eligibility would be approved if he decided to transfer to UW. Uh, but you know who else is in the transfer portal is the other quarterback that Kaelin DeBoer has mentioned. That's Michael Penix Jr. from Indiana. So if it doesn't work out with Jake Hayter, that's a possibility too. Uh, he would, I believe, have immediate eligibility because this would be his first transfer. Oh, a lefty. 
Yeah. A rare lefty. You could have two lefties. I know. Yeah. Hypothetically. Teach Sam Heward. Uh, as you know, only left-handed people can teach other left-handed yes. people how to play quarterback. That's true. Just, uh, That's why Damon Heward has never talked to Sam Just Heward Brock. about playing quarterback. 100% Brock. Learned everything from Brock. <laughs> Dave, Damon's just like, I don't, I can't figure it out. I just, I, I... It's all like looking in a mirror. It's very he confusing. Has to, he has to do it in a mirror to be like, oh, I see. I see what it looks like for you. Uh, <laughs> it's good thing Baby <laughs> Fantasy Genius wasn't lifting. Uh... I think it's a, an, is it advantageous to be a pitcher if you're left-handed? Yes, actually it is. Yes. Or is that right? No. No, that's, that's, you want to be a left-handed pitcher. Their left-handers are massively overrepresented in the pitching world. All right. I'll get him to change. <laughs> yeah. Get on that. Like this is, this is, I, I have some breaking news for you about coach's corner. Well, what's that? I have signed up to coach again. Basketball? basketball and you know uh, you were gracious enough to commit right here on this very podcast that ESPN's Kevin Pelton will be joining me as assistant coach for my uh two basketball teams that I'm coaching two? that's right two of them two of oh, them baby no, I didn't commit to two we're gonna try to do the practices back to back okay uh I, we're, I we're coaching be... fourth grade and first grade basketball bring it on Marcus played basketball oh yeah wow he's uh... being bullied into it by his coach dad I'm going to need a car to be able to uh, participate in the practices, but let's see what I can do. You're also going to need to call me coach. Oh, no, I'm never going to do that. Dan Ballam. <laughs> coach. That's unacceptable. Tristan, the coach, Carasino. Wait, can I be the coach beard to your Ted Lasso? Abs- absolutely. Wow, okay. I mean, Don't now. talk that much. <laughs> he gets me. Don't... <laughs> Don't think that I'm not going to rewatch seasons one and two of Ted Lasso. And that's, that's it. That's all of the coaching. In fact, I think they make you, uh, the, I think I've mentioned this before. They make you do like a little statement about coaching. And I was like on the statement, I was like, well, I believe in growth-based mindset. And like, I was like you using all of these like hot, but just like, I'm going to teach the kids, uh, grit. It was like shit like three years ago that everybody's talking about. And I'm just going to be like, well, I've watched seasons one and two in full of Ted Lasso. And I think I'm pretty prepared to coach after that. Okay. This is the thing that a friend brought up in a text. The the listener, David. Okay. Do we need a Pelton cast pyramid? I think it's, I think it may be time for a Pelton cast pyramid. Wow. What is a Pelton cast pyramid? I've got some thoughts on what it might look like. Okay. Uh, regression to the mean will be Im- heavily involved. A gas period. That's, I mean, I've already was like thinking through coaching. It's going to be like, if you miss a shot, what do you do after that? The kids are like, ah, I'll be scared to shoot again. I'll be like, you can't compete in the past. Oh, but be a goldfish. I thought you watched Ted Lasso. Be a goldfish, kids. What should we do, Sam? Be a goldfish. <sighs> well, you, oh, know who was, you know who was a goldfish last week? Who was that? The Seattle Seahawks Hello. forgot that they are nearly eliminated from the playoffs. You know who else is being a goldfish? Who's that? Me. You're forgetting about, the previous weeks? About this. Uh, we're going back to the UW football team for one second. Okay. Because I'm like a goldfish for this entire last UW season. And the amount that this Kalen DeBoer hire, like I was excited about Kalen DeBoer on his own and what he would do with the program. But you take Kalen DeBoer and you throw in just a little mixture of Jake Hayner. Like Ken has not committed. 
that right there is like the East. That uh, we're all gonna rise now with these two together, right? Like I'm telling you, I said that thing about LSU with Joe Burrow, and you know, want to know what the scary thing is? You're serious? I believe it. Oh no! I don't, don't get hurt again. You know the curse is still in effect. Fuck your curse. <laughs> curse is ended, baby. Fuck your curse, Joe Boo. <laughs> the, the Seahawks won a game. <laughs> All it took a single win. Uh, this is the curses overcast. Look, Gonzaga lost. What hasn't gone right in the world of sports? Portland Timbers. Whatever. Who cares? Ultimately, that's a good thing for you, Dub. Wait, is or it? For, for, for the Sounders. I mean, every year after the Timbers win MLS Cup, the Sounders win MLS Cup. That is true. We can't argue with that logic. But the other piece is, when you look around the Pac-12, especially the Pac-12 North, I mean, we're talking about a, pretty close to a hard reset that's going on among coaching staffs. And we'll see what everything looks like. I mean, I don't know why we consider Wazoo a hard reset. It's definitely a transition. It's a I mean, transition. I, I understand. They, they brought in new coordinators. I mean, and that's three of six teams in the Pac-12 North will have new new head coaches next year. And it's it's sort of the power of the Pac-12 North. And ultimately, we don't know if it's over yet. You know, Justin Wilcox. I think that situation is definitely in flux at Cal. He'll probably be back, but not. I mean, if Chip Kelly does go to Oregon then you create another opening in the Pac-12 that would be, at that point, five. Herm Edwards could still get fired, given the really? fallout from their, not for performance, but the fallout from their uh, rules violations. Uh-huh. So that would potentially be six. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a huge transition year for the Pac-12. And I think there's there's a pretty big void. You saw uh, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau going to the NFL from Oregon. Like I, I just look at that Oregon team and it was all smoke and mirrors all season. Like I did not believe in that team. UW wasn't good enough to beat them, but UW wasn't good enough to beat anybody. And they were who we thought they were. Yeah. They, I mean, they still beat this fucking UW team by eight points or whatever. Like there was a chance at the end. And that was a team that I think internally in every capacity was just a fucking mess. So, I mean, we saw it because there was a pretty hard reset at the program after that and a team that just got throttled by wazoo a few weeks few weeks later lost to fucking colorado and they beat UW by eight come on oregon do better uh so it it is wide open the entire pac-12 i think is wide open and i think long term where we're going to see those hubs of power at UW, it is in seattle washington and los angeles california like i, I think eugene is gonna i think eugene is right there like look the 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 Nike money is not going away. Doesn't sure. matter who's coaching. The Nike money is still going to be there. Eugene, and the cachet. Oregon will probably be fine long term, but there could be. You know, if they don't nail this next hire, who knows what it looks like after that? Um, I mean, they went through a pretty quick uh, post Chip Kelly. They went through a pretty quick turnaround to get to Mario Cristobal, and a downtime. But period. that wasn't the Huskies scored the fact that seventy fucking points against them. That wasn't because of the fact that. What was the name of the coach who left for Florida State? William Morris. Oh yeah, that was he not wasn't his name, unsuccessful. Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart. Yes. He he wasn't unsuccessful. He just decided to leave for his home school, as Mario Cristobal did, which 
you know, that was the upside of Mark Helfrich. He wasn't going to leave. He wasn't going anywhere. And maybe Chip Kelly won't either. Where is Roy Tiger now? Florida Atlantic. Can we talk about the Seahawks? We'll see Mario Cristobal at uh, Florida International in like two years. Oh. I mean, we're not going to see him, I guess, technically, when Wazoo no. plays Miami in the whatever bowl game it is. But oh, are they playing each other? They oh, Wazoo is playing other. Miami. Okay. Yeah. Not Oregon. No. Yeah. Not Oregon. That would be a, that would be a really incredible I thought you were going to say we're not going to see when he's the coach of Florida National because once he gets to Miami and ultimately gets fired, we won't notice in the same way that Willie Taggart oh. left Florida State. I didn't know. It's a lot of non factual football that's just out there happening on its <laughs> yeah. own. Non pectoral, non non CFB. But can we talk about the Seattle Seahawks? Absolutely, we can. Because we're not dead yet. Hello. Uh, Seahawks playoff odds per winning out with if they win out as high as sixty two percent according to five thirty eight's model, over fifty percent according to the New York Times. There's a chance here. There's a path. It's a narrow path, but there is a path. Don't think. I didn't go through on Monday morning and click through the 538 where you can pick whether one team is going to win or lose the upcoming games and see the avenues for the Seahawks to get to the playoffs. And don't also think I didn't see what it would look like if the Rams did not win another game for the rest of the year. I, I just don't know why you do this to yourself. Have you learned nothing about coping strategies? It is so fun. It, I, it's a, this is the coping strategy. Belief. Belief is a coping strategy. Believe. Believe. And and the reality is, all they can do, one game at a time. The only game that's on the schedule is the next game on the schedule. And that's how they have to take this. Agreed. And the next game on the schedule is actually quite favorable in this situation. Because it's the Houston Texans. And it's the Houston Texans, probably without Tyrod Taylor. Who, uh, they have not been a very good I thought team. I saw a definitive report that it was Davis Mills. He does have a torn ligament in his left wrist. So it uh, Davis Mills will be returning to the starting lineup this week. Uh, so Houston won their season opener against the Jaguars 37-21 before losing their next eight in a row. Then they upset the Tennessee Titans. Pretty good win there before losing their last two. Uh, they still visit Jacksonville on December 19th, which will probably determine the second pick in the draft. Texans have lost a league-high four games by at least 25 points. According to Stathead.com, just 15 teams in NFL history have more such losses in a season. None of those losses, and of course both of their wins, came with Taylor starting and finishing the game. They are 0-8 in games where rookie Davis Mills has seen action, including in relief of Taylor last Sunday, during their 31-0 loss to the Colts. It's funny because I feel like Davis Mills hasn't played that badly. We'll, we'll get there in a second. Okay. They're 31st in DVOA despite the 10th best defense because their offense is so far behind the rest of the NFL. The gap between the Texans and the Atlanta Falcons, who sadly rank 31st despite Matty Ice, is larger than between the Falcons and 25th in offensive DVOA. Taylor actually ahead of Russell Wilson in EPA for play this season, while Davis Mills is last in the league among really? regular quarterbacks. We know about Tyrod. Huge margin. I mean, I... Tyrod Taylor, he is a starting caliber NFL, NFL quarterback. He is a competent NFL quarterback. Perfectly cromulent. Uh, he's nearly average 
Davis Mills is nearly average in terms of CPOA since he's completely respectable 65.5% of his passes, but is ahead of only Jacoby Brissett in yards per completion, has thrown picks on 3.6% of his passes, and is getting sacked on 9% of his dropbacks. Wow. Taylor only marginally better there at 8%. So as a result, very bad. Just uh, ultimately bad. The Houston rushing attack has been anemic, averaging just 3.32 yards per carry, marginally out of the Dolphins for 31st in the NFL. Brandon Cooks is their only threatening receiving option with three times as many receiving yards as anyone else on the roster. It's kind of a bummer the defense doesn't have a more competent offense because they actually have played pretty well. They're 28th in run defense DBA, but 6th somehow in pass defense, which kind of conflicts with their EPA. I'm not totally sure what I'm looking at these yards and is. points that they've given up, and I don't see how this is true. Well, when your quarterback throws interceptions on 3.6% of his passes, you get put in terrible situations. But the there's also a Seahawks lot of defense. yards. 395, 355, 407, 450, 352, 388, 497, 467. That's the first eight weeks of the season. Like... I mean, again, their EPA defensively has not been nearly as good as their DVOA, and they're not totally sure. Like, I think there's a consistency. Like, they're consistently giving up a decent number of yards. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the Seahawks defense to an extent. They had a good game against the Titans. I guess they, play, they played well against the Dolphins also. I'm not really buying it with this defense, though. I mean, that's fine. Uh, 2023rd round pick Jonathan Greenard has broken out with eight sacks, albeit probably a little fluky that total in terms of converting pressures to sacks. And former Seahawk Jacob Martin leads a committee on the other side with four sacks. So. Jadavion Clowney, he's on his third team after the Seahawks, but Jacob Martin. Still going strong in Houston. Still in Houston. They, ma they made a lot of terrible trades, but that one probably was not one of them. God. Of course, the Seahawks weren't on the receiving end of the terrible trade. If you can't spot the sucker at the table, you are the sucker. <laughs> uh, Anyways, the Seahawks should win this game and win this game comfortably. And if not, they they definitely do not deserve to go to the playoffs. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not buying it on this defense. I think there's something statistically that is maybe a couple of games that are throwing things off or uh, some sort of anomaly. Again, Glitches in the computer. But like you, you look at this, they've given up pretty good chunks of points uh, throughout the season to multiple different teams. They've had a couple of nice performances along the way. I mean, that Titans game being like a pretty big outlier. And again, that was with Tyrod starting like a pretty different scenario there. Yeah, like they weren't put in terrible situations all the time. Also, their special teams is dead last in the NFL. So I think the defense is regularly getting put in horrible situations. Well, hopefully that continues to happen. I mean, I, I agree. I hope that continues to happen. The defense continues to be put in horrible situations. But, you know, after picking up that victory against the Niners, like a huge just get better, feel better victory, having this one on the schedule, this is a build confidence game. And this is a type of game where it's like we're looking at KPIs in this game. Like we're looking at are they able to consistently complete passes? Is Russ looking sharp? Are they getting the ball downfield? Are they getting the ball into DK's hands? Are they not running a bunch of like flare screens and shit like that? Is D. Eskridge catching the ball down the field? Is it, you know, how much is Gerald Everett involved in the game? Not because of what he did last week, but ultimately Gerald Everett being that big of a focus on the offense is probably a bad thing. 
you know, we want to still be getting the ball into the playmakers' hands, into DK Metcalf, into Tyler Lockett, into D. Eskridge is somebody who should be getting it more. You know, Joel Everett should be a complimentary player, not a focal point of the offense, which they they'd seen a little we'd seen a little bit too much of. And like if we're spending so much time setting up fucking screens to Gerald Everett, that's not a great place to be. Um, we're running trick plays to get a screen to Gerald Everett. That's not what this offense should look like. There's different ways that this offense should look, and that ain't it. And so I think that's what we're looking at more in this game. If it's a close game, it's a huge issue. Uh, the defense, I think, we'll see. But, I mean, they're playing Davis Mills. And it's one of those games that they could be opportunistic, which they have been this season. You know, I mean, it feels like Quandra Diggs is coming up with a pick in this one. Oh right? yes, oh Q Diggs pick game. Um, I I think I'd be curious about this. Is the defense better with Jamal Adams off the field? They did not seem to miss him in the second half on Sunday. There's no large sample size without him off the field. But they did. I mean, not last season there was. They were they were worse with him off the field ultimately the last season. Were they? Yeah. We'll see about this year. I, I do think the scheme that they play is probably a worse scheme, all things considered, with Jamal Adams on the field than with Jamal Adams off the field. And if he's not going to play in this game, you, you don't need Jamal Adams to pass rush Davis Mills. Like, they should be getting home. I would love to see another huge game from Carlos Dunlap. What about LJ Collier getting a sack? Can we see some of that? Or at least Only be seven active. snaps for Carlos Dunlap last Sunday, but he he certainly made them count. Uh, Houston's average drive against is starting at the 31-yard line. By contrast, you know who's number one in the NFL at where opponent drives start? I think it's I do. It's the Seattle Seahawks. At the 25, they're... 7.7 yards ahead of anyone else in the NFL in where the defense is getting set up on average. So the defense is being set up in the best position? Yes. Wow, far. look at Michael Dixon! And also the offense never turning the ball the, over. Last the off, but also, Pete Carroll never going for it. <laughs> that That is a factor in it too, for sure. I mean, you definitely have to say, wow, I hadn't thought about that. It's, a, it's certainly a byproduct of that. There's no situation where Pretty much every other coach has been like, yeah, we're at like the 46 or whatever. We could probably go for a fourth and one. Uh-uh. Not, not in our house with Pete Carroll. That is not happening. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued to watch this game because it would be great to pick up another victory. We're still riding pretty high. I think this fan base and this team just needed that. You know, we were like a fucking third world country out there ready to implode going into that game going through the season and finally having that Niners game to break through. I mean, this was, I, I described that moment to you in God, which game was it when city Jones had the pick that got called back. That was the week. That was the Arizona game in, in that game. When it was like city Jones picked that ball up, everybody bucking erupted in that moment. And to have that taken away from us, it was like, we got to have that moment and it didn't get taken away from us in the San Francisco game. It wasn't a horse collar on or a face mask when Carlos Dunlap got the safety you know like all of these different things everything went our way Carlos Dunlap batted down the ball which if you've seen the angles that was a touchdown if Carlos Dunlap doesn't bat down that ball uh, like the thing some things finally started going our way and can we get another week of just getting getting right can we get a fucking blowout like the Jacksonville game was a blowout but it still didn't really feel like it 
I think ultimately that the Seahawks fell in DVOA because of that game. Can we get an old fashioned 58 to three Cardinals? Oh, in two wow. That is a lot to ask. I maybe not. This team is bad enough. The Seahawks aren't good enough for a 58 to three win. We will know this week how good the team is and we'll know where they're at. Like, I think this game actually, even though it is hypothetically the easiest, the second easiest, because the Lions are still coming, game on the schedule. Although I, I feel like the Lions are, are probably a better team with Goth than the Texans with Davis Mills. That's probably true. This is probably the worst team in the NFL that they're facing. If we crush this team, that is going to mean something. I think we can go into that Rams game and say, we're beyond, so you're telling me there's a chance range. If if they really take care of business in this one. I'm excited for it. I'm ready. I mean, I don't think they're... They're still in here telling me that they still have to win five more games to finish the season. I'm talking about that game, though. I'm not talking about winning out. I'm talking about that game. One game at a time. They'd, they'd have to only have to win four more at that point. And yeah, no, I mean, they'd have a chance against the Rams for sure, of course. And this one is the next one ahead, and I think we can learn a lot from this game. So that that's, I think, what I'm excited for is, is it is it close? Do they look right? Is it dominance? If it's dominance, we feel good. If it's mediocre, if it's sluggish, if it's ugly, I think we say to ourselves, maybe this team hasn't changed that much. Maybe the 49ers game was the anomaly. Maybe the curse is not over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think all of those things are possible, so... Uh, percentage chances of victory here. I I mean, it should be close to 90%. <laughs> close to 90%? You don't think so? No. I don't know the, think that many NFL games are close to my 90%. This isn't UW at Gonzaga. <laughs> 90% is way better chances than you have has. I mean, I, is <laughs> fair. You're giving them a 10% chance? Football Power Index is 73%. Are you kidding me? Football the, Power Index? The spread consensus pick implies a... Uh, no, I guess that's... Uh, I mean, the Seahawks are only 7.5 point favorites. So... Somewhere in there. Like, they're on the road, first off. Shit done changed. There you could are... feel it. You could feel it. Things have changed. Russ is back. You're telling me with a real Russell Wilson, with a normal Russell Wilson, this is a seven-point spread? That's People are factoring in broken Russell Wilson. Broken Russell Wilson's over. He's healthy. It's been eight weeks. I mean, He's recovered. To, I'm not ready to declare a victory yet. I'm, I'm optimistic that's the case. There are Mission four teams. accomplished. Four teams with that are favored by more points this weekend than the Seahawks and another team that's favored by the same amount. We never mentioned in, in the game uh, in our post-game podcast last week, I mean, Pete was definitely, Pete was pulling out all the stops in Pete Carroll terms. The he went for, you mean he went for a fourth down? Yeah, he went for a fourth down. Wow. But no, the wow. play, the play. The double where, pass? Yeah, the double pass to DK and back. And then Tyler Lockett was still double covered. <laughs> And he had still nearly completed by Russell Wilson. Oh, it was a perfect throw. If you're going to do a double pass and a double coverage, like, that was the best possible throw you could have made. But it was just like, how does this shit never work for us? Like, why can't... We would have been better off on that play just lining up. I think we'd had more open receivers if we would have just lined up and said, everybody go. Just four verts. 
right? Like DK Metcalf is getting more open by just running down the field than having doing this whole double pass thing. It really is like the Seahawks can't try shit out because shit never works. You just got to be normal and throw the ball downfield. Shit only yep. works for other people. Can't have shit for the Seahawks. But this is not Justin Herbert catching a Philly special. Like that, if if the Seahawks tried to run that play, Russell Wilson would be triple covered when he was ready <laughs> to catch that pass. The defense would just know. They'd be like, oh yeah, this is the Russell Wilson Philly special play. Somehow they're tipping their plays. I, I remain convinced of it. It's pretty wild, right? Have they done anything, any sort of type of play that involves any sort of misdirection and ended up with an open player on it? It's usually just Russell Wilson scrambling. Is any time they have an open player, screen passes like we can't do that. Nope. Uh, Mike Sean posted. God, I love reading Mike Sean's tweets because he's such a convert. It, it really is amazing. It's just like if if I want somebody to confirm my priors and I just ignore all the Wazoo stuff. Um, <laughs> but it's just I like definitely Mike, I could not. I, there was a 24-hour period where it's like, I'm not viewing any of Mike Sean's stories. No, no, it was good. I'm it done. was good. I liked it. I, I like seeing Mike Sean celebrate. I was not in the mood. It's nothing against the Cougs. Just was not in that headspace. You didn't know. You didn't know we were just about to get Jake Hayner back and win not the Pac-12 North. It's not no, happened no, no, no. yet. BCS championship. Oh, uh, <laughs> look, my expectations are in check. They might be a four seed going into the playoff. Um the, but Mike Sean being like, is there any reason that the CX don't play action on every single first and second down? I'm like, I mean, I don't think there's any reason that every team shouldn't play action on every single pass they throw. Because if you run sometimes, like, I mean, you could have defenses so ridiculously on their toes. If you were like, we're either going to run out of this or we're going to play action and you have no idea. Like, to me, that's kind of perfect offense. But, you know. What do we know? And yet the Seahawks offense continues to be what it is, which is why I'm giving them a 75% chance of victory. We're not that far off, 15%. 15% is a big amount. You weren't there. You don't know what it's like. You don't realize. You could feel it. You could feel it. We walked out of that stadium, and every single person in that stadium knew what happened. Was it a, was a religious experience? Was it a spiritual experience for well, you? I definitely wouldn't invoke the word religion, but... Um, maybe it was for Russell Wilson. Uh, the, it was, it was, it was cathartic at the very least. I don't disagree with that. And it, it felt like something clicked into place. It was like, oh yeah, we like this again, right? This was John and Paul like singing a song together again. And that ended up great. (laughs) (laughs) He still hasn't gotten to the end of the... (laughs) Of the Get Back documentary. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for him. Gerald Everett in that game is kind of a George. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's not actually true, because George is doing good good stuff that wasn't, like, understood. Travis Homer is kind of like George. <laughs> I think people understood what Travis Homer was doing on Sunday. Maybe Rashad Penny's blitz pickup. Oh, my God. That plays. We didn't talk that, about that on the post like. Pod. Dude, Rashad Penny made some fucking plays in that game. I think it was very exciting to see. His first carry came way too late. That's what I'm telling you about Adrian Peterson. Like, we never even really talked about that. But can re- I, I understand that Rashad Penny in the, oh, God, 
was that also the Cardinals game where the first carry he had like a 20 yard gain and then boom, got injured. I believe that was yes. He did some things. I mean, he had a 10 yard run. He had that blitz pickup. That was one a of the screen best pass. He's the yeah. only Seahawks running back who's ever been able to catch a screen pass. He's the, had some, he's had some good scenario. screens in his career. No, I mean, I'm not joking about that. The, in that game at LA when he got injured. Ugh. Yeah. Free Rashad Penny. I mean, Who favorite. knew he'd be here? <laughs> yeah. Free right. Rashad Penny and Travis Homer. <laughs> Travis Homer as a runner has come a long way for sure. And as a special teamer has been awesome. All right. Well, hopefully another week of the Seahawks staying alive. We're not dead yet. On that note, be a goldfish. Thanks for listening. <laughs>